Hi, I'm Kane, and I've always been a storyteller. Whether it be through my passion as a singer-songwriter or working as a journalist, I've always been drawn to crazy stories and telling them to my friends. But there are some stories that haven't been told quite enough. So grab a seat, a drink, and hunker down as we delve into the realms of those forgotten stories. Welcome to Breaking Bard. Stories untold, tales that we've spun Quite a few missing, where have they gone? Come fill your mind with ghosts of the past Now that we're breaking bad 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 Hello and welcome to Breaking Bard, episode 6. Today we have a very special, very special episode because we have the pleasure of welcoming a new guest, an amazing friend of mine, former colleague and all-round superstar, it's Miss Kemi Rogers. Hello Kemi, how are you? Hello, that was quite the introduction. I live for that. Thank you. Thank you for having me, by the way. Thank you for coming. Dave... I was going to swear then. No, you can. Oh, on this I was going to say day fucking one. Day so fucking straight one. off the bat, 30 seconds straight in, bish bash bosh. But from day one, I've been such a fan of the podcast. So thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to learn more. I'm a bit of like a history nerd as well. Anything blast in the past, I'm like, facts, 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 feed them to me. Well, you have found your absolute tribe. Oh, I really have. Welcome to the Breaking Bard tribe. I think we welcome you with open arms and hearts. Thank you. Thank you so much. We've got a cheeky um, bit of uh, cider today. Is that your preferred beverage? It reminds me of summer. Mm. I only drink it festival season in summer. Ooh. So actually having this on a kind of cold, kind of maybe springtime night is making me feel like excited for summer already, which, yeah, you're putting me in a very good mood. I love that. That's what we want. So, Kemi, could you tell our listeners, first of all, let me explain. No, um, I have not done away with Maeve. Um, <laughs> She's locked in a cupboard somewhere. <laughs> literally, where the hell is she? No, she has gone um, to sunnier uh, parts. Yeah, <laughs> sunnier <neither>. parts. <laughs> Um, she's gone to France and she is Luscious. in her lovely house that she bought with Very her partner. Yes. Um, and we miss her dearly. Um, but it's Breaking Bard with Kane and friends. So we've got to diversify a little bit. There we go. Got. You do have more than one friend. So it's that's true. kind of nice. I do. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe it's great. I've got, uh, you know, big shoes to, to fill today, but hopefully I'll do her justice. I'm sure you will. She will appreciate that comment. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself or how we met, for example? Yeah, we met doing a video editing job for Mm -hmm. a news company a few years ago. And you were, you know, doing your music on the side and I was kind of doing my presenting on the side. And look at us, how many years later. I love it. Touring and doing gigs and recording albums. That's you, not me, by the way. And And having a party on boats. And then partying on boats. Yes. So I present on capital and capital extra doing some little kind of like social media tv bits as well so kind of at the start of my presenting journey so it's lovely going on this journey with you and having you by my side and what a journey it is um it's so so i'm so proud of you i've said it many times you you. for the listeners were actually the first radio i was ever on with my music back in 2018 january yeah in this little kind of like 
community radio station in North London, which is great for anyone who obviously wanted to get into radio. But Definitely. yeah, you came in, you were my first ever guest. That was so great. it goes both ways. It first really ever does. radio interview. And it was, oh, it's an incredible interview. You're, you're a great chatter. Ah, uh, as are you, which I guess is how we're trying to make money. Yeah. <laughs> trying to make money out of our voices. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Well, today I have a very special uh, story for you. And uh, if you would like, I'll just absolutely get into it. Um, so a couple of months ago, another uh, journalist and dear friend of mine, Feruz Rajpar, put me onto this incredible story that I have been dying to get my teeth into. And so, Kemi, today I'm going to be telling you the incredible story of Barbara Blake Hanna, Britain's first black TV reporter. What? Yeah, girl. How did I not? How I, this? See, I'm kind of ashamed. I didn't even know that name. Exactly. This is the point and of the is, podcast. This is why we do it, and this, this is why is we why do we it. People do it, people. So this one, I yeah, I did it yesterday for once. Um, I love how I, I I'm always obsessed with telling on the podcast. <laughs> I, I did it today <laughs> or when I did it. Very time sensitive. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But today, yesterday, I took. I did it. It took me about six hours to go through everything. It was what a life she has. So. Now, trigger warning, obviously the story does uh, unfortunately contain themes of racism because we live in that kind of shit world. Yeah, unfortunately. And it'd be nice if it was like, and no racism was involved. Literally. <laughs> she just like climbed to the top. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, that is not why she wouldn't be on the podcast. Otherwise. Yeah, unfortunately so. So let's go right into it. I'm ready. I'm taking you to Kingston, Jamaica. Oh. So Barbara Makeda Blake Hanna was born on the 5th of June 1941 in Jamaica and was the daughter of Yvonne Blake, a magazine editor and later founder of the Press Association of Jamaica. Barbara's parents' marriage ended when she was just four and her father um, brought her and her sister up. Barbara grew up in a quite affluent part of uh, the Jamaican capital of Kingston. In an article she wrote detailing her early life called My Father Who Fathered Me, published in 1988, she notes what a privileged upbringing she had, saying, quote, We led such a sheltered life that I was unaware that there were children who did not have three meals a day, um, who did not go to school. I took for granted the pretty dresses, shoes, socks and matching hair ribbons that we bought on wonderful excursions to the shops on King Street. So, you know, her father's career meant she grew up as um, pretty comfortable. The nice side of town. The nice side of town. Um, but a sensational divorce and legal battle for his daughters, as well as uh, her father's flamboyant fashion sense and lifestyle, landed the family firmly in the Jamaican public eye. So she grew oh, up wow. no, being known as the daughters of Yvonne Blake, okay. the Blake daughters. From a young age, Barbara was also plunged into the world of writing and journalism. Um, her and her sister's house chores would consist in helping her father mail copies of his magazine Spotlight to subscribers. Amazing. Which she was like, was like our least, uh, least preferred chore to do. But at the end, we'd get treated with a hot dog or a brand new book. Oh, no. oh my God, that is so pure, isn't it? Isn't it, it so no, pure? I love that new I book. Love I, love I was just asking for money so I could buy clothes or sweets. Literally <laughs> sweets, isn't it? Her father gave her her first typing lesson at the age of 11 and paid for both his daughters to attend the prestigious all-girls boarding school of Hampton among the Caribbean elite. Ooh. Ooh, What age was she doing this typing then? So she was 11 years old, but what year would this have been? Or like Uh, era-ish? Yeah, so 11 years old, it would have been 52. Wow. 
Okay. Nineteen fifty two. That's pretty early to get started, but maybe that's Jamaica. you know, people left school kind of like early, I guess, so they went straight into work. So that's So actually sense. no, like she was going to school, but he just was On like On the side. Yeah, 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 yeah. He just was like put a typewriter in front of her. I was like, right, learn how Amazing. to typewrite. So of that school, Barbara said there were a hundred girls, only ten of whom were black, of whom my sister and I were, quote, the blackest. Um okay. so that's when she was arriving in Hampton, she kind of, you know, She'd grown up in what was basically segregation at the time still. Mm. Um, and Barbara remembers her father educating his girls on their black history. Um, he would take them to his family's like grave and would tell them about their history and slavery. Mm. Um, but he was also known uh, most of all to push the limits of segregation. And one of his most famed anecdotes is when he desegregated the swimming pool of the famed Myrtle Bank Hotel in Kingston. I love this already. It's great. So Barbara recalls the event in an interview with The Guardian saying, this accountant would go and swim there every day, but my father, his boss, couldn't. So one day my father put on his swimsuit and dived in. The horror. The manager came and said, Mr. Blake, you have to get out of the pool. He said, no, call the manager, call the prime minister, call God. And that was it. He liberated that pool and he liberated Jamaican tourism. That is so badass. So, that is so badass. Yes, Just being I like, am. no, I'm not putting up with this anymore. Yeah, nah. I want to use the bloody pool. Yep. And the event has been pointed to quite an important shift between desegregating J Jamaican society and tourism, where they were kind of like, well, yeah, hang on. You know, we live here. We're yeah. growing up here. Why can't we use the public services? Because it was never truly about the pool. Mr. Uh, Mr. Blake and his daughter, his family had the pool at home. She would, she and her sister would start so their day sense, swimming yeah. every day. But so, it's, yeah, that is, it's not the point, is it? It's not no. the point. Also, it's kind of like, this is probably going to be very naive of me to say, but I don't think I truly realised that Jamaica was segregated. You hear about it, of course, in... South Africa, in Europe, in, uh, you know, Northern America. But I didn't really know about the Caribbean islands. And that's quite a surprise to me, actually. So there weren't any actual laws to enforce segregation like there were in the US or South Africa. But like in the UK and other countries around the world, it was almost non-official segregation that you would see in like bars or housing estates or, well, swimming pools, for example. Right. And, well, as we know, her father was like, we're not having any of that. I mean, imagine being, you know, the daughter of a man like that, inspiring. You're I think influenced he... by your parents, aren't you? Like, and the examples that they set. So, so to get such a strong role model and standing up for like what is right and what is just from such an early age, yeah. unapologetically, I think is wicked. And I think you you see the legacy of her father in this in her in her life story. Oh, so it just gets better. Her education at the Hampton School gave her a wider view of the world than most of the black Jamaican women of her generation. But when her father's finances collapsed, Barbara had to drop out of school after just getting her O-levels. And basically her father was like, right, one of you two can't go to school anymore. To her and her sister. Oh my God, I, so one of them went? One of them, the younger daughter. And so he said to Barbara, right, I'll put you in a one-year secretarial course at the Jamaica School of Commerce to become a secretary. Mm -hmm. Now, she recalls how sad and uh, sad she said she wrote, she shed bitter tears. So oh, dramatic. Yeah. I love, I love that. But you're a teenager, um, aren't you? I'd, I'd be oh, shedding yeah. bitter tears bitter over like tears. a boy or something. <laughs> Literally. Um, but it's at this school that she would learn most of the skills that would kickstart her career. Um, so Babs's first job was as a typewriter and journalist at her father's magazine, New Day. 
and her first article was released when she was just 17 years old oh in 1958. Goodness. Getting a byline that early. I yeah. love that. So cute. On a book review, actually. Oh. Soon Barbara's work experience would include journalism, copywriting for an advertising agency, hosting a TV quiz show, reading news, uh, reading some news bulletins on the TV, appearing in a pantomime and even a spot of modelling. Oh my God, she's living the life I want. <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous. But Barbara says she always felt the call of the motherland or Britain, explaining by saying, quote, I'd been educated to be a black English woman. I could tell you the average rain rate for all of the Lake District and recite Wordworth's poem to daffodils. I spoke... I cannot do any of that, sorry. I cannot do either of those things. I'm like, am I British? I was born here, but... (laughs) Another time, babe, another time. Um, She continued, I spoke and wrote perfect English and I thought... Well, apart from the disadvantage of brown skin, kinky hair and a broad nose, I would be okay, you know? She oh. also wanted to make something of herself that wasn't directly linked to her father. She wanted to sing her own song. Yeah, you know? make your own name. So let me first, as in Breaking Bar tradition, show you a picture of Barbara. Oh, I love this bit. This is the best bit, I think. It's not very visual, but just give it. It's not very audio, you know. Yeah, but I've always been the receiving end. So I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, she's got a little smoky eye moment. No, she looks incredible. It looks like she's, maybe it's a black and white picture. Mm. So I presume maybe she was like in front of like a TV curtain or something. Mm -hmm. She's got a brilliant kind of like popped collar, I guess kind of like blazer, suit jacket, a very nice watch and kind of like quiffed hair. Looks very like kind of maybe, was it 60s? 60s, Yeah, very mod 60s. Yeah, very mod, very 60s. She looks very cool. Very cool. Very cool. She does. Those eyes staring right into your Yeah. Soul. Love it. So she felt the call of the motherland. And when a friend landed her a job as an extra in the 1965 film A High Wind in Jamaica, and she was required to travel to the UK to film some of the scenes, Barbara decided to go for it, despite her father's disapproval and moved to England. Amazing. So how old was she in 1965? 1965, quick math. She was born in 41. Oh, okay. So she's like 24. 23, 24. Yeah, yeah. That's a big age to be going like the other side of the world. I'm going to be in a movie. I'm going to be a star. And also I'm going to live in a country that I've never been to before. Never been to. And did you know, and I found out researching this, that um, all Jamaicans own British passports. Really? They all had them. Oh, that's incredible. Even after independence. So they'd been independent, you know, they were just part of the Commonwealth yeah, by then. Yeah, yeah, um, Obviously, you know, the Windrush yeah. generation and, and she very much is it, yes. you know. yeah, yeah. Um, so super interesting. Yeah, of course, British passport, come on over. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but sadly, the warm Commonwealth welcome she and many citizens of the Commonwealth had been taught to expect was nowhere to be found. Oh. The history of slavery and her experience with segregation at a young age had prepared her for what she would describe as the white man's contempt but she was shocked at the practical hardships that racism would cause oh, God. after filming the film in london was finished she was uh, put up a few nights first few nights at a hotel in knightsbridge mm. um, but then her and her friend um had to find a place of their own she stayed with her friend's aunt for a bit and then she looked for her own place and this was to be one of the biggest struggles she would face so quote 
There, be- there began the whole history of being black in Britain because accommodation was really hard for those of us with skin this colour. We were just not accepted. It was very difficult to find accommodation. You had to live in places that were really, really awful. Ladbrook Grove at, at the time was just derelict buildings with rotting masonry, garbage in the front yard, peeling wallpaper and bad plumbing if there was any at all. And that's all we could have. Jesus Christ. Can you... Uh... And this is only like... You know, 60 years ago, literally, you couldn't literally get a house because I guess you'd be renting, right? So it'd be whether the landlords allowed black people in their houses and they were well in their right at the time to say no. Absolutely. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's disgusting. Living in squalor through no choice of your own, you could afford something a little bit nicer, but... And it's not even more interesting, but it, I think it's super interesting that, you know, she's a black woman who grew up in the elite of Carib- the Caribbean elite. She's been on the she right was... side of the head, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then she in your back garden. And yeah. a lot of the, these people wouldn't have had that. You know, like the landlords I'm talking about, these white people are not allowing them. No. Yeah, she's she's lived a nice life back home. So then she was, you know, because of her skin colour, yeah. was forced to kind of go down a, a, yeah, a, social, yeah, a couple of couple social of ladders. pegs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a shock to her. Um, as it would be to anyone. So finally, though, she got lucky because one of the actors at a high wind in Jamaica vouched for her to a landlady in the same building. And she moved into her own one-room bedsit with a bath and a gas fire. So she says in an interview, um, um, basically this landlady had a look at her and was like, okay, you seem decent. You're not like a a street lady. Right. Oh. Yeah. Like... Okay, there's a whole then, whole other few things at play uh, there. Jesus, she's an acceptable black girl, so therefore yeah. she can. Okay, and that and because she was vouched for, right? You know, um, just terrific. So she worked as a secretary for a few years, including for a PR company that worked closely with the Jamaican Board of Tourism. So soon she was like, "Well, hang on, I used to do PR a lot, uh, and you know, journalism mm. stuff in Jamaica." Yeah. So she um, saw that there was this qualification she could do. So she marched up there and she took the test and you she got that go. qualification. Yes. And then she took it straight to the boss and was promoted to a PR officer. Amazing. So she's not dilly-dallying. No, you know, she is setting those goals. She's achieving. She's yeah. dreaming. She's believing. She's achieving. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when she began to write articles. Firstly, focusing on stuff like she had a um, double page spread on the Sunday Times, which was about Jamaican culture. What? Food. Food and tourism, and she was like, I was doing like recipes about plantain and all oh that. Oh my and god, that is a jump! And in the times of you know, all places, and this yeah. would have been back in the 60s, 70s, still? yeah, this was, yeah, still 60s, it was probably Amazing. 65, somehow, 66. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, she got that into that, and that gave her an entrance into Fleet Street journalism. And you know, she'd been a journalist, she was really excited at the time, it was the whole time of the trilby, and they're hey, yeah, 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 newspaper. yeah, 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 I'm in America now. <laughs> oh my, you know. We've seen it in the movies. They're on the street and yeah. then you're like, okay, 50B, extra, 50B, extra, extra read, read all about, about it. it. <laughs> love it. Literally. We just don't get that anymore, do we? No. Waving around a guardian no. on the street. I'm, I'm here for the drama of it all. Oh yeah. And now it's just like your you just free to, pair yeah, of Metro. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no one wants it. Wait, true, no. car, get your free coffee and a free... Evening standards, anyone, yeah. anyone? That's it. Okay, that's true, actually. We do get a little bit of that. And then no one we ever takes it. get those two. Metro and Evening Standard. Yeah. But we're in such a capitalist world now that we're yeah. like, if something's given for free, we do not want it. Yes. Very mm-hmm. true. <laughs> um, so, 
When she heard that Thames Television was starting a new station in London and were looking for journalists for their Today Show, she applied and went for an interview. Good for her. Fuck yeah. Three weeks later, the studio rang. Ding, ling, ling. She got the job. Oh my God. She got the job. This is incredible. And so she should. She's worked her ass off. She's got more than enough qualifications. She's got plenty of experience. She's been working in this industry since the age of 17. Literally. Good for her. Really good for her. Yeah. So, in effect, she became Britain's first black TV reporter. And what year was this? Uh, 1968. In the 60s still. Yeah, girl. So Barbara was thrilled, but what really shocked her is that the day that she walked into her job, the news of her landing the job made headline news, front page news, on every single front page across the UK. She said the day she walked into the studio, all the journalists looked at her and ran off to write copy. Because she was the first black person to be... So someone just getting a job... Just anyone, you or I could just get a job somewhere and that would then make the news because God forbid someone with brown skin could do this job. This is going to get so worse. Oh, no. no, Every single media outlet had her on front page except for one. Can you guess which one? Is it in a negative way? Guardian? The Daily Express. Oh. Because they had a rule that black people couldn't be on the front page oh, so of they, the they, news. Oh, okay, right. So they couldn't even express their dismay. No, it was below that. Yeah. They couldn't even. Uh, oh wow, they, they couldn't had, even have a black person on the front of the car. No, they had Shirley Bassey in the entertainment page, like number page thirteen. But every newspaper except for the Daily Express had her on because the cover. Everyone was racist, but they were too racist. Too racist. So Kemi and I worked in a video editing thing that would deal with tabloids lots of like this. Lots of news companies, kind of lots news of different titles. Different you know how titles. wicked they can sometimes be, but Absolutely. this is a new low, right? This is a new low and, ugh, I mean, Oh, God, shudder. But Barbara took no notice. Oh, good no, for her. Just the whole of the country just on her tail. And she's like, well, I'm doing yep. my job. and turn up, bring my packed lunch. And get she to got, the job. literally, packed lunch. She got straight to work becoming Britain's first black TV reporter. Amazing. Amazing. She's a queen and I love her. I love her so much. So I am actually going to show you a little video <gasps> of her in her prime. Oh my God. This is a package she did on um, uh, people with disabilities doing like football, um, basketball, sports. Amazing. So there she is in her little... Oh, she's in like a little mini... Yeah, oh, I love on. this. Very 60s. Well, the opportunity presented itself. You decide to open a store in the Coventry market. Well, the opportunity presented itself. Coventry what? Her voice is amazing. Proper is it? like... First mentioned it. Customers and everybody alike. Neil, did you decide to come into the venture with Peter when he first mentioned it? Well, I was a bit fed up with life. How cool. This is and then, amazing. This is amazing at the end. Also, I know it's not the point, but she looks great. Like, she I love looks. 60s fashion. She looks amazing. So Again, not the point. It's her merit, but... Oh, my God. Also, I love that they're playing basketball. but Because it's the 60s, they're all in suits. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Right? The they're playing wheelchair basketball, which is amazing, but they're literally wearing a suit and tie. Literally. Oh, amazing. And she's playing basketball with them. Oh, that is incredible. Look how beautiful she is. She's very then, beautiful. So this is 1968 and she is, you know, a, a reporter on TV. And she's black. 
and this is incredible and also i know it it shouldn't be a big thing but no. she's interviewing two white men on yep. the tv and they're you know i don't know what their views are but they seem to be having a nice time with her like yeah getting her to have a go at the basketball it just feels yeah, yeah. very progressive and it, it, as it should be but yeah. we all know it was not the 60s were notoriously racist time Absolutely. so it's just amazing to see that that was also going on in the midst of horrendous racism that's it and she said she feels like maybe journalism like helped her right because people were like they wanted to be on tv so it kind of didn't really matter who was she she felt slightly protected Mm. from it um but like just good on her for going and just doing it and getting on with her job yeah yeah you know um because you can imagine like what the headlines might have been they would have been horrendous they would have been horrendous. it it makes me think of diane abbott who has got the most abuse being a black uh, female politician mm-hmm. um she was the first yeah she was the first female politician yeah and yeah. she got so much abuse she so still much does abuse. you know and, and yet you know for all sides of the house she would have been you know the fact she did it as broken barriers so there's other you know other black women can also be in house of, of parliament why is it every time a minority person gets given a chance mm-hmm one chance. Uh, one chance. One chance. One single one chance. Yeah. It's almost as if the whole of their community is riding on this. Yes. And it's like, well, even you know. though, and that that's the flip side of it. It's it's amazing. You know, she's just doing a job, but also she doesn't have to speak for every black woman. There's exactly. a really exactly. interesting thing. Like, yeah, you don't represent everyone. You could just do it for whatever reason you want, but you don't yeah. have to have the whole weight of a community on your back. And Absolutely. that's an unfortunate pressure that's put on a lot of people who are breaking waves. Yeah they then get the pressure of doing the job. I mean, the first one to do the job and then the pressure of the whole community behind them, which Definitely. is, um, yeah, a different kind of flip side to that. Very different flip side. So, but it's really interesting. That is really interesting. I love seeing that video. Thank you for showing me. Of course. And like, I invite everyone to go and look, just Google it. There's, there's loads of little reports. Oh, I'm going to go so home cute. and watch loads of them. Literally. She's amazing. Definitely She's watch so amazing. it. So Barbara interviewed a huge array of people, including Sir Michael Caine. Oh! Sir Francis Chichester, who was the first to sail around the world. Amazing. And reported on a number of things from housing problems, crime, and even a cat that ate oysters. Oh, okay. Well, I love that. (laughs) Just, you know, the thing we all go into journalism It's got to be the light with the shade, you know? Housing crisis, but also cat with oysters. Literally. Um... She actually got on really well with her colleagues, Good. including TV host Eamon Andrews, and said her being black didn't seem to be a problem whatsoever, and she was tra- treated as just another journalist, yeah. which Good. we love to hear. Yeah. But now, by the mid-60s, the black liberation movement was in full swing, especially in America. Mm-hmm. But Barbara remembers how America, Malcolm X, and this mm. notion of black beauty felt really far from her experience in London. Mm-hmm. Um Despite her hard work, when her contract was to be renewed after nine months, she was called into the studio and without a word of warning was let go. Why? I mean, I think I know why, but did they give a... So Barbara was eventually told, a trigger warning, uh, that they had been receiving almost daily letters from members of the public saying things like, get that N-word off the screen. Okay. Okay, so it's good while it lasted, and then they caved into public pressure, so the first black TV journalist in the UK was taken off. Was was forgotten to our history because of... So that nine months, she was acing it, killing it. Killing it. And then she was 
taken off. They were like, look, we're getting almost... They showed her the letters. They showed her some of the letters. Oh, my God. No one needs to see abusive letters. Literally. Like, oh, I can't imagine, like... Like, we're saying this, you know, we're detached. But, like, mm. I have had moments in, 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 like, a job where, like, I was told at one moment, like, like my lisp wouldn't ever get me, like, audio Jesus work. Christ. And they, like, I was offered, like, a... A, a speech therapist wow to and try and change you yeah for a job and this was like two years ago that was so, disgusting yeah so it's kind of like i've had moments where you know mm. that and then you just run to the toilet and just like burst mm. out into tears mm. and i cannot imagine seeing like that word thing having yeah, that yeah she must have been well she was understandably distraught yeah, and she of said of it it was almost as if I had been found to have a communicable disease. Mm. I had been so excited to get this job. And now I had to tell my friends I no longer had it just because I was black. Wow. I hid myself in shame for a long time. Jesus Christ. That that just breaks my heart because you'd like to think that that kind of thing doesn't happen these days. But obviously it does. People like, I mean, you know, we're living in an age of Twitter now where people can fire off a tweet, but it does take something even more wickedly to write a letter mm-hmm. and post it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're that upset. Yeah. People can be flippant with a tweet and ni- neither is acceptable, but that's just, you know, stacks and stacks of letters. And this is a real shame they didn't stick by her and was like, no, you know, she's our journalist and she's doing that. So the, the worst bit of this, right? Is that, I don't know if you've heard of the 1965 Race Relations Act. I think I maybe in I passing, mean, I'd heard it in but passing. like I wouldn't know like, oh yeah, that's the one where gotcha. this happened. So basically in 1965, a an act called the Race Relations Act uh, was proposed and put into law, which outlawed discrimination against people on the grounds of race and colour in public places. Mm-hmm. However, it didn't do much to protect people when it came to housing or work. So, thanks to many anti-racist and immigrant groups, um, a bill to amend the 1965 Act and add the protection of housing and jobs was passed in 1968. Okay. So, by the time she's actually in this job, she should have been protected. Oh, so this is illegal now. Yeah. So, basically, she, at the time, you know, Thames Television could have chosen to not listen yeah. to their racist viewers yeah yeah and kept her on said no fuck you but then they were illegal and they got rid of her on the grounds of race and they never gave an official reason to why they get okay rid so of she her. found this out later so she couldn't even she found sue this them out, yeah and so at the time the point of the law like <laughs> it, it, exactly and i think you know oh the story it goes so you, you will see but yeah. it's I, I just think like um yeah it's it's not her well obviously not, not her fault but no. like you know at the time you're like you don't know what can protect you when you're still literally fighting and no one's gonna say to you oh yeah you know here you go babe yeah no one's got your back so then you're, no one you're has completely your back. on your own this is really heartbreaking because it's just it's made me angry that even the law you know and even the amendment to the law to make it more it still did not give her the protection because ultimately you know yeah n- no one would have been affected by that law because any employer, even if they were dismissing you on the grounds of race, they would just say, well, it's not about race. Mm-hmm. No, no, it wasn't about race. It was about, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. X, Y, or Z. But of course it's about race. So there's no... You did something and that's why Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's absolutely no protection there for no. black workers. Yeah. 
So after that, what does she do then? So six months later, she landed a job working for ATV in Birmingham. Okay. However, things were still far from pleasant and I would dare to say they actually got worse. Oh, Christ. She was forced to commute from London to Birmingham. What? Every day. Whoa, 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 whoa. How long is this train? Because there aren't fast trains like we've got now. No, like Virgin, high speed. And even that, that. they won't get you there. No, that's still a couple of hours or an hour and a half. Oh, yeah. Here to Manchester, it's three, two and a half, three, four. So she, they wouldn't, because hotels would not accept her as a guest. Oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I'm really sorry. Oh, this is really just like, I was like, yeah, I started the story like, yeah, yeah. boss bitch, boss babe, love this. And I'm like, oh, 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 no. It gets better. It, it, it ends well. Okay, okay, good. Okay. Ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, turn this thing around. <laughs> we are, but we can be sad now. Yeah, because of course it's a really horrific thing to just think that like people who like literally are, you know, well, I'm I'm late twenties, mid to late twenties, like my grandparents' generation, and there were people literally not being able to stay in a hotel. Yeah, that's just that just breaks my heart. That's only like two generations above me. Yeah, it just you know it's really not far from where we are right now. Absolutely, these people would have been alive right now. You know, in the fact uh, that people working in the hotel saying no, they'd be in their eighties and nineties. They're still around. Of course they are. Mm. Leroy upstairs. No, <laughs> my little my little love. Um, yeah, we're not saying he's. Oh, no, He's no, no. racist, though. No, sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, Jesus. Okay. No, no. <laughs> sorry, no, but yeah, people of that generation who lived through all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I meant like an old Windrush generation yes. who's still alive. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, of course. And yeah, experienced yeah. all this firsthand. Yeah. And then they're, they're kind of elderly now and lived through all of this And lived through all of this. And it's still pretty bad. Yeah. Like, there's still yeah, yeah. miles and miles and leagues and to leagues to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so... Her colleagues were far less welcoming as well mm. than those on the Today programme and would use racial slurs in her presence. Wow. One day on a job, she was asked, well, Barbara, this is, this is horrific. Well, Barbara, if black people are so great, how come they didn't paint the Mona Lisa? What? That's okay. actually laughable. Okay, yeah. Like, <laughs> on, can we just, can we just, <laughs> can we just unpick that? What is the logic? What is the logic there? do you know what part of me is like wanting to get into it but part of me is like that argument is so goddamn ridiculous i don't even want to like justify it with an answer no because of course black people don't do art no they don't make art no and (laughs) they aren't the birthplace (laughs) of all music genres that we know and literally and all art have you seen the pyramids have you seen yeah yeah, have you seen any of the great like yeah 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 so she was obviously speechless and recalls in an interview with the guardian quote I didn't have an answer. Mm. I didn't know there was anything to compare to the Mona Lisa. I thought that Egypt was Elizabeth Taylor in Cleopatra, you know? I didn't know anything about Africa, except that we had come from there as slaves. That's all I knew. And this is That's where... heartbreaking, isn't it? This is heartbreaking. And this is where it's... I mean, you know, we came and we... I mean, I was in Africa at the start of the mm, year. Yes, you were. And, like, being a white man there, like, and just being so welcomed mm. and feeling like, mm. oh, the love, yeah, the yeah. smiles, you know? Yeah, And being, like, my ancestors, yeah, like, people yeah, yeah. came here and didn't see people. Yes. They yes. didn't even see people. No. Animals. That's what they thought. <sighs> and it just, it breaks my heart. And it's like, ugh, like when you put that down, yeah, yeah. like when you actually like lay that down and look at it as we get older, yeah. I'm just more and more disgusted with 
I just don't have time for it. No. We don't have time for it. We do not have, don't time, have time for, for it. We do queer, not transphobia. But a lot like, of people have time for it. They do. And every conversation is like, well, but I would like to, you know, uh, uh, advocate the, the devil's advocate. I'm like, that's yeah. what's kept white supremacy yes. going yeah. for years. Babe. The devil's advocate is working. He's a white man. <laughs> working overtime. So, you know, and that's the thing. They were taken from Africa. They were not, uh, you know, you hear about it, you know, mm. that's why we capitalize the B of black, especially mm. for um, African-American, we call them, because so many lost where they were from. Yeah. They lost their stories. And me going there, like, you know, you see the tribes, you see the Boile, the Bikis, you know, uh, all that. And you're like, you feel the culture, you feel the love. And they have been here for, like, it's the birthplace of civilization. Yeah, well, yeah for everyone. For everyone. That's what I love, just him with, like, with a racist, you know. Everyone came from Africa and the pan we all came from there literally so it just shows ignorance it shows all of that um and unfortunately she you know at the time didn't didn't feel like she had anything to answer uh, haven't we all been there in yeah. any argument yeah. no matter how trivial it's so true you're walking home you're like damn i should have said that mm-hmm, oh mm-hmm. god i wish i said that you know let alone obviously a really heinous kind of racial whatever but in anything i'm like damn no one's expected to be you know have the moment and you know the answer in one moment literally so Another time at an office party, she cut herself on some glass mm. and a woman exclaimed saying, oh, look, it's red. And everyone burst out laughing. Oh. Yeah. This is like 69, 70. Okay, so it feels like we've just like gone back a few years. No, yeah. It's like, ugh, I can't even. This is really disturbing. Yeah. And last little bit of like horrible thing, but bit by bit racism began to seep into the program she would work on too. In this one report on swimming, she mm. was filmed with her white colleague mm. swimming a lap. And she was a damn good singer, a swimmer. Well, she had a pole in her back garden as a kid. Exactly. And she'd even competed in swimming races in Amazing. the Kingston Harbour race when yeah. she was 15. Um, but being on TV, she, prefer- she preferred to swim with her head above water, yeah. which meant her, her body was like, yeah, not, of course. you know, slightly yeah, yeah, less hor- horizontal so you don't break your neck. Yeah, exactly, yeah. than her white colleague. And so they actually commented on this as proof that white people swam better than black Holy people. Holy Jesus. Was this colleague a man by any chance? Because I wonder, probably mm. the reason she didn't put her hand underwater is because, let's be honest, those 60s quiffs, they were, there's a lot of hairspray <laughs> holding them up. I know if my I'm having a good hair day and a good makeup day. Yes. I am not. I'm being filmed TV. My hair has not gone underwater. No, my mum never, even no. when we're on holiday, she doesn't put it under. Love it. Like, yeah, no. That chlorine on your hair. No, yeah, thank you. Fuck that. Yeah, like a podcast or shea butter and that. I'm not going to mess this up. Literally. And the package she did literally started with a footage of her um swimming mm. and you hear a guy saying like oh yeah look she's much lower in the back like like comment. her head is up oh my god jesus and that is scientific proof that yeah because black people don't swim oh yeah of course so back to the race relations act mm. um it's to this backdrop that the tensions between whites and non-white people flared up in notting hill Okay. So well, I've you know, heard of those, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was all with this, and one man who was fervently opposed to this amendment mm. and was very anti-immigration was Wolverhampton MP Enoch Powell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a great guy he is! Oh, what, yeah. a, what a lovely man. We know him. Uh, we know him very uh, well. So he obviously made headlines with his 1968 speech, "A River of Blood," in which he strongly criticised mass immigration, especially Commonwealth immigration to the United Kingdom, and the proposed race relations bill. So mm-hmm. he tried to stop the 1968 amendment. Of course, he did. Now, what's um, I bring him up because not because I just love to talk about old white <laughs> racists, but Barbara and Enoch Powell nearly came face to face 
when Powell was invited to be interviewed at ATV's Birmingham studio. Wow. However, Barbara was sent to report out in the bitter cold without a word of warning and was later informed that Powell had only agreed to be interviewed if, quote, the black girl isn't there. Wow. They sent her out in the cold. And she said, do you know what? I, uh, I, you know, I wasn't surprised because of the man that he yeah. is. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, she was like, mm, I, I, I regret that I never got to interview him because mm. I would have had quite a few good question hard questions, questions yeah, to yeah, give yeah. him, you know. Oh, that would have been an interview of the age, isn't it? Literally. So the year she was fired by the Today program was the same year the strengthened uh, bill came into power. And this could and should have protected her from losing her job, as we said. But the Thames uh, television could have dismissed its viewers' racist views and paved a new example to media outlets, but it sadly didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, Barbara's contract with ATV ended after six months, but she was glad of it. Yeah, sounds like a really nasty, toxic working environment. Yeah, get out. Get out, babe. Literally, get out. She moved to behind the screen and started working as a researcher for BBC's Man Alive series, which she absolutely loved. Good. So we're coming back up, babe. Yeah, we yeah. are coming up. Yeah. <laughs> we are coming up. <laughs> Raised from the ashes, yes. Literally. Um, so after working on numerous documentaries and shows, including a documentary about the Cannes Film Festival, um, she was asked to help promote a 1972 film called The Harder They Come, which told the life of reggae legend Jimmy Cliff. Amazing. Amazing. She said of it, the film blew my mind. It showed me a culture and country that I didn't know existed. Mm. The reggae and the Rasta world, which wasn't part of the life I'd experienced there before. I felt that was an opportunity for me to see a new Jamaica, the real Jamaica. Oh, I love this. It's like she she came to the UK. Thinking she was a white woman. Yeah, yeah. Being that black English woman. And finding out that home was was still home. And there was more to explore back there. That's amazing. So good. So, we can't fucking blame her. After feeling like Britain no longer had a place for her, she decided to move back to Kingston, Jamaica in 1972. Wow. So she was a four years in total? She was there from 65 to 72. So she was there a good good nearly 10 years. Um, In a way, it's when she moved back to Jamaica that her story really begins. What? Um, yeah. And it shows just how much a loss the UK yeah, had, you know, yeah, yeah. in terms of her brilliance. Yeah. Like, so when she returned to her homeland, her father said, you've made a name in England. Now you've got to make a name for yourself in yes. Jamaica at home where it matters. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, I love it. I can see him. Um, and what a name she made. So she continued working on films and travelled the world. She wrote books, including her 1982 memoir of her time in Britain called Growing Out, Black Hair and Black Pride in the Swinging 60s. Wow. She continued reporting for various Jamaican media outlets and interviewed the likes of Cuba's Fidel Castro. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, yeah. Yeah, or UK Prime Minister Harold Wilson. The big boys. Big boys. Um, She also went on a spiritual journey as a Rastafarian. Oh. Yeah. And she became a Rastafarian. Oh my goodness. And she'd first seen of this culture while she was living in the UK. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. through a film. Seen she... Through a film. That so, you know, that t- that really speaks to the 60s Jamaica. 50s, yeah. 40s, where she grew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. You know, she was living that kind of sheltered life with her dad. So yeah. she wasn't maybe mixing with yeah, the locale as much. Yeah, yeah. She was with the Caribbean elite. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
So I think she really just kind of had she this really full circle it, moment yeah. where she's like, she had to go to the other side of the world to, you know, she had to, do you know what, do you know what worse? She had to go and be despised by people for just being yeah. who she is to, to realize how to fucking she amazing she loved. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Learn how to love that. Yeah, yeah. And embrace it embrace more it. so than she'd ever done before. I feel like that lesson, we all need it. That is a very strong lesson, it's actually. True. Yeah. Always be yourself. Like the bullies will know. The bullies will fucking know. Yeah. They will know when you yeah. are up on that mountain looking at them down. Exactly. You know? Oh, I love it. Oh, I love that. So in 1984, she was elected as an independent senator, becoming the first Rastafari to sit in Jamaican Parliament. Oh my God, her story is like bam, 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 bam. bam. How yes, fucking so cool is that? Happening. That's incredible. I love that. Like Rastafari. Wow. I love it. Around about that time, she gave birth to her first and only son, Maconan David Blake Hanna who go on to make headlines himself when he was appointed in 1998 as a youth technology consultant by the then Minister of Commerce and Technology at the age of 13. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. This family are wild. This family are incredible. Such high achievers. Incredible. The parents are already making headlines. She's making headlines. Her son is making headlines at the age of 13. 13. He became the youngest consultant ever appointed by the Jamaican government. 13 years old. 13 years old, he's consulting to Consul a minister about technology and commerce. Excuse me. 13. What were you doing at 13? What oh was I doing God. at 13? Jesus. Yeah. I was spiking my hair up with hairspray oh, and learning you. how to play Lady Gaga songs. Oh on the my piano. God. Yeah. I was really like crying over boys. Yeah. Going out to me play too. in the garden. Crying over the fact I like boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's another bloody story. Embrace that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're embracing that now. <laughs> so. Now, this is where... So, obviously, we can probably say she was she had a bit of a forgotten story, right? Yeah, 100%. She was completely forgotten. Why... And this is the thing. We both come from journalistic backgrounds. I did a journalism degree. You did a journalism yep, degree, absolutely. right? Yeah, yeah. How come that name was never mentioned throughout my three years of journalism degree? Exactly. exactly. Interesting, right? Very interesting. Mm. So, this might explain why. In 2008, The Guardian shared a poster containing the common... The common misconception that Trevor MacDonald was the first black person to report the news on British TV after he joined ITN in 1973. Does he mm. maybe ring a bell? Maybe? Oh, yeah, of course. He's a yep. bloody legend. Exactly. Yeah. And that Moira Stewart on BBC yes. News uh, from Another 1981 legend. was the first black woman. So they so shared she a poster. completely erased. Completely erased. Do you know what she did? She wrote a letter to the yeah, garden. Yeah, good for her. She fucking wrote a letter to the garden. Started by saying, I must put history right. Yeah, she was. she was, she was. She was like, I must put history right. And with this letter, she began to reclaim her history. Yeah, Jamaica's good. history. The yeah. history of being black in the UK and wow. what she endured. That is incredible. And that's really bad that everyone had forgotten about her and what she did. And after Literally. nine months, she was taken off because everyone was too racist to her. Yeah, and they forgot that. <sighs> yeah, of course, they forget that very quickly. So... For the first time in Breaking Bard history, I have the pleasure to say that the awesome life that we are looking back on is still going strong. Yes! She is alive and kicking at 81 years old. Oh, incredible. I hope she's just relaxing on a beach. and She's had too much hardship throughout her life. I hope she's just like loving her life at oh, the moment. she is loving it. Now, 81-year-old Barbara Blake Hannah lives in Jamaica near her son and despite only returning for three short trips to the UK since leaving in 72. Wow. Mm, she was like, oh. Yeah, I'm getting bad vibes, bad vibes, bad vibes, getting out of here, yeah. Uh, she still keeps an eye on her former motherland. Um, 
she wasn't surprised when Meghan Markle uh, began to receive racist abuse from the tabloids, saying it reminded her of those who wrote in those racist remarks that caused her to lose her job on the Today programme. She held her breath with excitement when news of Britain's statue of Edward Colston, notorious slave traders, was toppled. He good was on gone. the people of Bristol. Yeah, good on him. When she, she said, when I saw that statue come down, I thought, oh my goodness, I just had to smile and clap. Oh. I, I am part of a generation that was brought up to humbly obey and accept racism. Yes. So I am glad to see our next generation are not putting up with it anymore. Yes. Mm-mm, chills. Oh, I love it. I'm so sad that she had to go through that, but I'm glad she's still alive to kind of see a turning point. Yeah. You know, yeah, we've yeah, obviously, like yeah, we yeah, said, yeah. got still got a long way to go. But, Absolutely. Oh, that is incredible. It's fucking incredible. Now, um, finally, her role in Britain's black history as a journalist is being recognised. In 2021... Yes, oh girl, God. we are current. I keep we it current. We are so current. <laughs> so current. Oh, my God, yes. The inaugural... Barbara Blake Hannah Prize for Up and Coming Minority Ethnic Journalists was awarded to the independent Kubashan Baptiste, who was flown out to Jamaica to meet Mrs. Blake Hannah herself as a prize. Oh my God. Oh, I really want to cry. I'm actually getting chills. I really want to cry. This is making me so emotional. Wow. Like as a black journalist yourself. Yeah, this is amazing. This is, oh, for someone that was just like kind of kicked from pillar to post, never wanted in the UK, even though she was like more and you know up to the job to finally be this is the problem with a well just a lot of people around the board artists whatever journalists yeah. a lot of people are never recognized for their work while they're alive yeah they never get their flowers while Absolutely. they're alive this and, is why i'm so happy yeah about this. and this is making me really happy that you know there's a prize in, and she's here to kind of witness that because it's all good and well having prizes after you know people who are I mean, do you know what? This is going to be completely off tangent, but yeah. it reminds me of Alan Turing, who was pardoned uh, for being homosexual yeah. after his death. And I just thought, when he's gone now, yeah, what he's the- never going to know that we live in a society now where things are getting better than it was when he was alive. Although, yeah, we've still got so much to go. And it just makes me, yeah. So I'm, I'm just really happy now Can in you this imagine, story. like, exactly, like Alan Turing, when he, he took his own life. Yes, he? yeah, yeah. When he took his own life, yeah. if one person has said, you know, baby gets better. Like, yeah. He was chemically castrated for saving the world. Yes. Like he saved the world. He saved the world. Yeah, and yeah. And then for being who he was, yeah. which is the person that yeah, fucking Winston saved bloody the world. Churchill gets all the bloody credit. Yeah, it yeah. was cheering. Uh, my hero, oh, the darkest hour. The darkest hour when mm. we castrate is when we castrated yeah, yeah, yeah. the man, the man that who stopped saved the Nazis the from yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. invading the UK. That's really how we treat people that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, And that just really, that's why I kind of trailed off there because I just got really upset that there's people. No, and no. there are so many other examples in history, of so course. many more that we haven't touched on today that would also have that same thing. We're never recognised. We're treated awfully while they were here. And then, you know, f- you know, 20, 30 years later, oh, yes, sorry, that was really, and I know it wasn't the people who were doing it at the time. You know, the government will issue a pardon. Yes, no, that should never have been the case. But it was, and... They suffered. So I'm really, really happy that she's been able to get her flowers and see that people appreciate her and, you know, history's being righted. You're telling the story today, which is so important because I didn't know about her. There'll be a lot of your sisters who didn't know about her. It's all good. You know, people who are into, you know, uh, journalism, guardian. In fact, I'm into journalism. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Exactly. So like, it really is forgotten history. And it's Brit- this is British, not just it's bra- our, it's like, black I'm white, you're black, but it's, but it's our British history. history. It's British history. It's British history. Yeah. And that's exactly what she, so I've got another little clip that I want to show you 
as her as uh, an 80 year old woman. Oh, wow. Uh, and she's being asked by a amazing, um, actually, uh, black journalist. Um, here he is. Uh, Brian Knight, um, who does a, a YouTube called Living Legend, and he interviewed her, and amazing. I used some of the quotes, um, and actually commented, and he was like, yeah, no worries, use my Oh, amazing! <laughs> when you look at all of that going on in Britain, do you really think Britain has developed since you left? I wouldn't say developed. Britain can't change, you know, you've got your queen. It's, it's still the same history. Britain can't change. Britain can't, would have to change from the top. And it's not going to happen right away, you know? I, I don't even want to talk. Britain can't change. Britain can't change until it apologizes for slavery. And that's the day it would recognize its great crime to black people. And when it does recognize that, it will gain some humility. And with humility, change will come. It won't happen till Britain apologizes. We ask for reparations. I know that Britain is never, ever going to pay black people. They can't, Britain can't afford to. It would bankrupt the entire country. The debt to all the black people that Britain, that are a result of British slavery, the debt is unpayable. But an apology would be really cool. But an apology would have to come out of, out of humility out of great humility. And I don't see that humility. I actually started crying. Every word, every word. word. She is so correct. There is this, and this is like a whole other podcast. Oh, we can really get into it. Go for it, baby. But there's this kind of like blindness to racism. And I think that's what the last couple of years has been about. Educating how racism isn't necessarily just calling someone a slur. Mm -hmm. It, develops in so many different forms and often unknowingly to you know so it's like adjusting your privilege and also just like recognizing that when things are actually racist you know an old comment you might think is a joke is actually quite racist and it takes a lot of people to be like oh my god was that racist i think there's a lot of learning going on that's really positive it's learning and the thing is that's it like white people cannot start being like getting on the defensive that's it being like oh but you know my intentions weren't bad yeah Yeah, you need to be like why do i feel this way why did i grow up being told that was okay to think to feel to say stuff like that it's unpicking it all I'm picking. Same with like we talk about it in the other episodes, like homophobia. Yeah, I would say um, every uh, queer person is grown up and mm. uh, and birthed in homophobia. Oh, it yeah. took me years. Like I only started wearing makeup and expressing mm. my gender identity and like looking at myself and giving myself the time of day. Yeah, I only started that last year. Think a lot of things internalized when you're when you're taught to be a certain way, Absolutely. to do a certain thing, to look a certain way. Of course, and that it's hard to unpick. Of course, it is because it's so many years mm. of so many people who have the uh, benefit mm. to keeping this, you know, patriarchy, this, this thing yeah. up there. The reason it is there is to keep those people in power. They never yeah. want to give that up. Of course they don't. They never want to give that yeah. up. Why would so they... Enoch Powell, you know, yeah, stand no. up in government? No, he doesn't want to let other people in. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's the people, if, you know, she's saying there that it needs to be the people at the very top to apologise. Well, the people at the top, very top don't want to apologise because... They would they have done it keep, by already. Yeah, they would have done it already. But also they want to keep the power that they've already got. They don't want to have to, you know, lose... It's all about protection of people at the very, very top, essentially, and not letting people in. So it's amazing when people kind of do take a chance on other people and let them in and, you know, invite them into these spaces that weren't inherently theirs to begin with, you know, for whatever reason. Absolutely. And I always go back to the 
this, but like, it's like when I, I was told, oh, but won't you be limiting yourself if you're doing stories only about forgotten people? And I'm like, that what, right so there what, is you'd the You'd rather question. tell the same story that everyone's heard a gazillion Look, times. Exactly. Tell me about Henry VIII. How many wives did he have? Have Literally. you ever heard this little old story? Literally. You know, like, it's really interesting. You hear all about that, but slavery, the fact our country oh. paid, made, and gave the boat ships that took millions. Yeah, oh. yeah. Well, this is, in, okay, well, then leading on to that point, I'm just going to give a shout out to Rennie Edo Lodge's book. <laughs> Well, I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Literally I read it. There, read it oh, last, amazing. Last three months ago. I read it a yep. couple of years ago and I'm I'm not ashamed to say because it, it was never taught, but I did not know Britain had such a history in slavery. Yeah, me neither. Like the fact there are like ports in Bristol and yep. Liverpool notoriously. Yeah. Yeah. Like bad ports for slavery. I just thought we kind of like reaped the sugar, reaped the money, gave a few ships. Well, we were ingrained in that. And yet we the were. the curriculum, don't know yeah. what it's like now in 2022, but when I was in school, you know, 2015, no, no, I'm older than that. 2010, <laughs> 2011, when I was in year 10 and 11, it was all, okay, and America did this, and America did this, and America, yeah, it was kind yeah, of like... Yeah, yeah. The pushing it onto them yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it but... was all over there it wasn't it wasn't that awful what, what, yeah, you know yeah. what they did was awful no kind of like okay here's what we did yeah the fact we're called great britain i was not taught about the commonwealth how do we acquire those countries uh, do we think th- i mean i've never been taught that we no. know it's bloodshed yeah we know damn well it is yeah but was never taught that it's what? just so important that you're telling these stories so we can learn and unpick our history well thank you i mean I mean, I feel like it's a, a debt that we all have. Like, yeah. And I am Everyone's just doing the work that everyone should be doing. Everyone should be doing this. You know, yeah, yeah. and uh, and like already when you think about it, like uh, black people weren't native to Jamaica. Yeah. Bob Marley, you know, yes. who, you know, yeah. they were native to Africa. They mm-hmm. were brought to yeah. this tiny island. They were like, live here, you know. Yeah. Picked uh, up, dropped off. Here you go. No, no, uh, this is who you are. No, no you know. Ugh, it's just so upsetting. And the thing is, all we can do, we can't hide it under the rug. That's what people have wanted to do. It's like when you talk about, you know, it's been easy. It's been easy. For other people. You need to go, and we've talked about this a lot, you and I, um, you know, we need to go and find our history. Mm. We need to. I'm doing that now as a queer person. And that's why I just invite anyone to be like, be proud of who you are. Go and find out who you are. Because we have a huge history. Well, there's Dave's track called Black, which is one of the most beautiful songs I think I've ever heard. Mm. And it always brings me to tears every time I listen to it. And he did that amazing performance of the Brits Uh a couple of years ago. Uh, truly monumental stuff. And he and in one of the lyrics, I don't know exactly, but he basically talks about a cousin who thought he was Egyptian, but he's actually like, you know, Somali or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he yeah. thought he was... And this is so common for people who have been displaced yeah. through like, you know, the Commonwealth or whatever it may be, not actually knowing their lineage, not actually knowing their history. And that's really sad. A lot of people maybe take that for granted. Oh yeah, you know, my aunt and then my great... I come from Wales and then yeah, Spain yeah, and then whatever. Yeah. But there's a lot of like black people's histories. They don't know their moment. history. Yeah. Exactly. Rind wash. Rind. Oh my God, I can't say it. <laughs> Wait, what was it? Windrush. Windrush. Okay. Windrush. It stops at Windrush. Literally. They don't go beyond that. No. Like, and then it's all just hearsay. And then when those generations die out, people just don't know what their lineage is. And that's really sad. Yeah. Do you know what? That kind of reminds me a little bit. What about, you know, our lovely lady that we just did, Barbara, with yeah. having to go to England to learn about to learn the about. rest of yes, yeah, 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 Like, what I would so like true. to say to that, and it's how I felt like I grew up gay, I never felt part of any community because I was the only gay in the village. Yeah. So it's not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But, no, but yes, I always like an have other. an yeah, other. Yeah. You were the other. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have a community. When I came to London, I really thought that I would come and just be like, welcomed and I would yeah, find yeah, my gay yeah. people. I was so anxious going to my first gay club. 
I felt a bit of an imposter. Like, I was like, I, yeah, like, I know I'm gay, but like, I don't, do I know the references? You yeah, know, yeah, the yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah, that's and it. that's why, like, something like Silly But RuPaul's Drag Race just, and just getting into the queer just culture. Seeing it on the TV. Just like, going there. Representation, just, some, just something. Something, people who right? Are like, oh, right. Well, they, I haven't seen anyone yeah. who, like, looks or sounds or yeah. lives like me or. The only thing that mm-hmm. I had seen, grew up with, was, you know, gay storylines in EastEnders or shows like that, which were oh, always super dramatic. Yeah, very you know, dramatic. oh, uh, you know marrying a woman but actually you're having a gay yeah, affair yeah, yeah. you know promiscuous it was all that so yeah, yeah. what you're saying about that what I would like to say that it wasn't too late for me to learn yeah, yeah. it's not too late for you or anyone out there yeah, you have a true. history it doesn't matter if you're late to the party <laughs> didn't matter for Barbara did not matter for and Barbara. what did she become the first fucking Rastafarian in she the senate badass. she was she a badass she was badass so she was also officially part of Britain's Black History Month curriculum Oh, amazing. Yeah. And received an order of distinction from the Jamaican government. And I'm going to finish the story with that when she heard about the journalism award, she said, quote, every year I will be remembered by all these beautiful black, brown, Asian journalists. I am so honoured. Oh, that is beautiful. beautiful. That is incredible. And so, my dearest Kemi, that was the story of Britain's beautiful, inspiring, brave and hardworking first black TV reporter, Barbara Blake Hanna. Barbara Blake Hanna. What a woman. What a woman. What a story. What a story. Thank you for sharing it with me. Thank you. Oh, I feel very like, even though there were some really like kind of sad moments and they're very low moments, I feel very like emboldened now. Like I'm like, yeah, she was amazing and I'm glad I know like about her. Definitely. Oh, thank you. This is amazing. So I I, I just, yeah, I was so happy to do this story because it was one of those that, and they're always like that when I get into it and I'm just like, this is... This is amazing. And yeah, like, had yeah. I started the research earlier, I would have like, sent, her a, uh, sent her a tweet oh, and, yeah. and just like tried to get in touch with her myself. I might still do. Yeah, I'm going to send this to it. her. If you're listening, Barbara, we fucking we love you. We love you. You're amazing. Yeah. You're always welcome back to us. Or maybe we'll come visit you in yeah. Jamaica. <laughs> it's <laughs> a bit that. harder over there. <laughs> yeah. The, no, yeah. The weather here is bad vibes. It is very bad vibes. Um, but honestly, yeah, it means so much. And uh, it, it feels so lovely to have, yeah, another guest and... Uh, um, welcome to Breaking Bad. Welcome oh, to the family. Thank you. It's lovely to be part of the family. I hope you have me again sometime. Oh, this is absolutely, absolutely. Thanks again. And as usual, you can find uh, everything on our social medias. I'll be posting all the clips and the pictures, um, which is uh, at Breaking Bard uh, on Instagram, at Breaking Bard Pod on the Gmail, and at Breaking Bard underscore on Twitter. Um, thank you, Kemi. Thank you, listeners. And uh, I'll see you again next week. Say bye. Bye. Bye, darlings. Now that we're breaking bars.